want to welcome all of you to our service, uh, especially people online. I want to say shout out to you guys online. It's great to see all of you this morning. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a, a great beginning to your springtime. And just in time for spring, we're doing this, this series called Climate Change. And uh, what we've been talking about, it's a series on relationships. And we're right in the middle of it. This is part three that we're going to be talking about today. And kind of to take us back to the first couple of weeks, if this is your first time here, just kind of give you a quick, brief review. You can go to our website if you want to hear the lessons. But I just got to say, this series for me has been very, very helpful in my relationships. Uh, to value them, to, to see how much I have to grow in my relationships. But what we've talked about the last couple of weeks is that all of us have a collection of relationships. And in each one of those relationships is a climate. And that climate determines the forecast for those relationships. And uh, one of the things that we talked about is, is this, is that the climate of those relationships dictates the forecast. So however that relationship is going today, right now, will determine what's going to happen in the future. And if you want to change in your relationship climate, it's time to start dealing with the present climate. And then it, it will change. And uh, something we uh, talked about, too, is there's at least, at least one relationship, if not more, that's in need of a climate change in our lives. And hopefully after today, you're going to, some people will pop in your head uh, with who. But, you know, that's the reason why we're doing this, this series, is because there's at least one, if not more, relationships that we've got to do with it. But, you know, one of the things about climates is we can't see our own climate. We are completely in the dark when it comes to understanding what climate do I bring to this relationship. And so that's why uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and we basically take our climate and, and we carry it around wherever we go. We take our climate to work. We take our climate home after work. We take it with our friends when we're hanging out. We take our climate everywhere. But we don't know what it is. And so uh, in, in week one, we asked this, this question of everybody for you to go around and ask three people in your life, uh, four for extra credit. And, and the fourth is, is to ask God, God, what's it like to be, and that's the question, what's it like to be on the other side of me? Because you know why we ask this question? We have no idea. We think we know, but we're clueless as far as what we bring to relationships. And you ask those three questions, and I promise you, if you ask this question of three people, I promise you, you're going to become more aware of your climate and what you bring. And then last week, what we talked about in week two, we talked about this word. This is the most significant climate changer, barrier, even climate killer. And we all know what this word means, insecurity, because we all know what it's like to be on the other side of an insecure person, whether it's a boss, a friend, uh, you know, a co-worker. We know what that's like to be on the other side of an insecure person. And we talked about, you know, the, the cure uh, for insecurity. We talked about that last week. Anybody remember what the cure for insecurity is? Anybody remember? It's right there. See, you cheat. It's an open book quiz. Okay, you never have to wonder what the answer is. Just, just look up. Uh, and you know what? Insecurity is a very cli significant climate shaper. 
And if we can deal with that, and what we talked about last week is this, the climate of our relationships improves when you see you as God sees you. That's the cure. If you can just start to see yourself as God sees you instead of how everybody else is looking at you or even how you see yourself. If you can just start to see you as God sees you, it can change everything. It can be the cure for insecurity. In part three today, we're going to tackle another thing, another significant, and you can't, you can't do a series on relationships without talking about this. And this, this one thing that we're going to talk about, if it's not dealt with, if it's not resolved in our relationships, our relationships basically flatline. And our relationships freeze up. They basically die on the inside. And so this one thing that we're going to talk about is if we don't deal with it, our relationships get stuck. And, you know, I may emphasize one particular relationship today, but it affects all of them. Or I may emphasize a couple, but it's, it, it affects everything. So what is this one thing that we're going to talk about today? You ever sat at a dinner, you know, with your family and you look over at the next table and you see a couple having dinner and they're not talking to each other? You ever notice that? You know, you shouldn't look at people and judge people, but we do it, right? And, you know, you look over and you go, man, they're not talking. You know, he's looking out the window and she's looking down and, you know, and you go, I wonder what's up. And, I, and you, you probably think this, I wonder if what they're dealing with, dealing with is what we're going to talk about today in their relationship. Any idea what that one thing is? Well, here you go. Conflict. You can't do a series on relationships without talking about this word. Conflict. And uh, conflict is a huge thing in all relationships. Uh, and why are we talking about this? Well, let me, just, let me just make it super clear today. And I want everybody, even online, if you're watching this on, you know, in a cafe or at home or wherever, I want everybody to participate. I'm going to ask you one question and ask you to raise your hand. If you have been involved in a relationship, okay, where there's been this, raise your hand. Okay? Okay, the rest of you don't raise your hand, you're lying, but it's everybody. It's everybody. It's every single person, every one of us have had this in some time or another in a relationship, right? Even the teens in here, you guys have had conflict. You've got conflict going on right now with your mom and dad. This morning, yesterday, this week, and if not, it'll happen tomorrow. The conflict, it happens. It's everywhere and it affects everyone. That's why we're talking about this today. Because you cannot do a relationship series and not talk about conflict. It's huge. It affects all of us. And we all know what happens when, with the climate of our relationships when climate is done well. When, when conflict is resolved well. Right? In fact, it's almost like if you resolve conflict well in a relationship, that relationship goes to another level. You get a promotion. You get an upgrade in your relationship when you resolve conflict because it's almost like you feel closer. You know? And that's the, that's the dividend of conflict. But what happens when it's not 
handled well. The relationship freezes up. The relationship flatlines. And in fact, the relationship can even get very distant and can possibly die. And so today, what's what we want to talk about is, is how to do conflict well. And the truth about conflict is, conflict has a very bad reputation. You know why? Because people walk around and think, if I've got conflict in this relationship, something's wrong. So we bounce around trying to look for relationships where there's no conflict. I don't know if you've ever had this, but have you ever talked to somebody who's been married, say, 25 years or a lot of years, and they said, oh, we've never had any conflict in our marriage. And I go, right. Do you guys even live in the same house? What, what planet are you from? And we, have, we, we sometimes in this, in this day and age, we kind of run from conflict. We try to avoid conflict. And that's not the thing. Conflict is not, you know, a bad thing. It's a reality. Conflict is part of life. It's, 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 it's what it is. You know, if you are a human being on this planet in the, you know, Milky Way galaxy, conflict's going to happen. It's just part of life. It's the way it is. And, and for you and I to participate in whether it's a friendship, whether it's a marriage, or a family, guess what's going to be involved in that? Conflict. It's a fact of life. If you're with a heartbeat, you're, you're going to have it. And the reason why there's conflict is no two of us are the same. We may be alike, but none of us are the same. And you know what happens to two people when they're different? You know, and that, that phrase that opposites attract? Yeah, opposites attract, but guess what else opposites do? They, they have conflict. They have conflict, right? And so I, I got to tell you uh, about my wife and I. My wife and I are very different. But I got to say this up front. I'm a Laura Garcia fan. Uh, I, I love Laura. She, we've been married for 20, 23 years, right? 23 years? <laughs> December 16th? December 16th. Got it. Yes. But let me tell you this. I, I love Laura, and I'm going to be with her. If Laura Garcia leaves me, I'm going with her. Okay? I'm, I'm going to follow her out the door. I'm going with her. But I got to tell you guys, I got I to gotta be open. Uh, Laura and I have not had a conflict-free marriage. We have not had a conflict-free relationship. In fact, we've had some legendary conflicts. <laughs> And so I thought it would be cool to share with you a legendary conflict. This is a Chrysler Spirit. This is a, a picture exactly of our car back in the early 90s when we lived in Mexico City. And i got to tell you this story because it's, it's legendary. She was very pregnant, probably eight months pregnant with our daughter. And uh, 
you know, we were having this ministry event down in San Angel, and, you know, she was going to arrive later. And so she brought the car. I was already there. And then after the event was over, she, she parked this, the car on this big road. It's called Revolucion, Revolution. And it's a big road, a lot of cars. And so she parked the car, and then we met, and then we walked out together to find the car. And as we're looking for the car, she said, no, I, I am absolutely, she's pregnant, right? I am absolutely certain that I parked it here. Okay, so we're searching for the car. We're walking, you know, and looking. I said, are you sure? Is it in this area here? And she said, yes, I'm certain. So we're looking. It took us about an hour. We're looking and looking. And the car's nowhere. The car's gone. So you're in Mexico City. It is super, super common. And I said, Laura, are you sure you parked it here? And she goes, yeah, it's, it's got to be here. I think someone stole it. And I go, oh, no, someone stole the car. And it happens a lot in Mexico, particularly this car, because they break it down for parts. So guess what we do? We go down to the police station. And, and you know, being in the Mexican police station, no offense if you're a police officer in, in Mexico, it is not, it's, it's not the safest place. It's not a place where you walk in and you feel safe. So we're there, and we're sharing with them. We said, hey, our car got stolen, and it's this car, it's this year, it's, you know, and this. And so we, we filed a report, and this took about two hours, you know, of paperwork and everything else. And it's, it's a stressful day. And so, uh, you know, we take, take you know, uh, another, another car, and then we're driving back home. And as we're going down Revolución, right? We're driving down Revolución, and I'm, I'm looking, and I go, that looks like our car. And so I pull over, I walk back, and sure enough, there's our car. And she goes, she goes, I think the robbers brought it back. <laughs> so... Anyways, I, let me just say, the temperature level went way up. And I, I got to confess, you know, she was very, very pregnant. And women with their, you know, things don't happen. But I got to confess, I got to confess, I got super impatient. I got super impatient. And I got super mad that day. It was a legendary conflict. And I was a bonehead that day. Uh, and, and I remember we had to go back, and we had to unfile the, 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 the robbery report. And it, it, was, it was not a good day in the Garcia household. But I thought I'd share that. It, you know, it was a conflict. It was messy. But here's the thing that I want to say, and th this is the keeper for today. So if you're going to write down some notes, write, write this down. This is very important. And God bless her because she was pregnant and she needed me to be patient. And I wasn't. Uh, and stuff happens in family and in marriage. And I choked it that day. But here's the, here's the principle today. This is the overriding bottom line of our lesson today is this. The climate of your relationships improves when conflict is resolved, not ignored. The climate of our relationships improves when conflict is resolved, not ignored. Now, what are we talking about here? We're talking about 
in conflict, and let me just break it down. There's two types of people in this world. Just two types when it comes to conflict. There's the conflict enjoyers, and there's the conflict, anybody know? Avoiders. Okay? And so let me just go ahead and, and tell you today, and, and conflict enjoyers, those are the ones that love conflict, I, Peter Garcia, confess, I am a conflict avoider. And you probably know who you are on the spectrum of whether you're a conflict enjoyer or avoider. Most people, most people are conflict, guess, avoiders. Avoiders. But conflict enjoyers, i got to talk about them a little bit. Conflict enjoyers, they love it. This, this phrase here that we talked about, you know, of, of conflict improves when conflict is resolved, not ignored, they'll tell you right here, ignored, I never ignore it. In fact, right after this service, a conflict enjoyer will say, you and I, we can talk right after. I never leave things unresolved. Okay? That's a conflict enjoyer. They thrive on it. They make great lawyers. They, they, they always win the argument. They always... Because they love it. They, they love the thrill of being in a conflict and resolving it. But here's the problem with the conflict enjoyers. They can shut the rest of the people on the other side down. They shut them down. And what does that do to the relationship when a conflict enjoyer shuts down a conflict avoider? The relationship flatlines. And the relationship freezes. And the relationship gets stuck. And that's a serious problem. And you know who you are today. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today in our series. And i got to talk about the conflict avoiders. These types of people, they have a phrase, why can't we just get along? Why, why can't there be peace? You know, they love the song, let there be peace on earth, you know. And, and they love the Michael Jackson quote, I'm a lover, not a fighter, baby. Right? And that's, that's the theme for conflict avoiders. They, they hate it. And, and i got to say, you know, whenever there's, whenever there's conflict, my first tendency, my first natural reaction is, you know, and even as a, as a, as a, you know, a, a supervisor or an overseer of, of the, the, the ministry here, I've got people that, you know, work with me and, and I'm responsible for. And whenever I see conflict in our staff, my first reaction is, oh, it'll be okay. They'll work it out. It's not that big of a deal. Instead of, you know what, this is an opportunity. And, you know, what we got to talk about for the conflict avoiders is this. Even though it might be a good thing that Michael Jackson says that I'm a lover, not a fighter, the truth of the matter is there are some relationships that are worth fighting for. And, and, and this, is a, this is a truth, and, and for all of us, is, is this, this thing that we're going to talk about today is sometimes love requires that you fight for that relationship. And if you fight for that relationship that means you're going to fight. That means you're going to have conflict. And again, conflict has a bad rap, but it is a healthy thing and it is a fact of life. And so today we're going to talk about how to manage that, how to fight well. 
Okay, and this is one of the talks that we do with couples when they're getting married. Guess what? We have a class dedicated to, pre, to couples that are, getting, that are engaged and that are going to get married. We always sit with, down with them and we say, how, we do a class called How to Fight. Remember, Daniel, when you had that class? You know? It's essential because you're preparing a couple. Hey, it's going to happen, but you've got to know the rules of engagement. You know, for some of you UFC fans, guys that like UFC, there's even rules there. Although you would say, where are the rules? It's a cage, you know. There's a referee and there's rules. And you have to respect those rules. The same way in conflict. There, there, there's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it. So if you've been in conflict a lot in your relationships, you've come to the right place today. And you're going to get some help, some very practical and specific help on how to do conflict well. So here's the verse that we're going to look at, and it's going to be a fill-in-the-blank. Okay, This is written by Solomon in the book of Proverbs. And he shares with us some incredible wisdom. Uh, And and basically, we're going to look at verse 3. And if you do verse 3, here's what happens in verse 4. So verse 3, it says, Never let this and that leave you. Never let this and that leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. So these are two words we're going to look at. And they're huge. If you will do this in your conflict, if you will do these two words in your conflict... It's going, to, it's going to result in this. Look what he says in verse 4. Then you will find favor with both God and people. And you will earn a good reputation. I know this about you. Maybe this is your first time here. I know this about you. You want that. You want that word favor. And you want that word. You want favor with God and with people. And you also want that second Two words at the end. You want a good reputation. I know that about you. I know that about all of us. That's what we want. But basically what what Solomon's saying, if you want this, if you want this, then you've got to do the first two. And so here it is in verse verse 3. The first word is, never let loyalty. And then we're going to look at this word loyalty. And you would think, man, I don't know what loyalty and conflict... And so this really applies to loyalty. This word loyalty applies to people that are conflict avoiders. And so I got to talk to the men right off the bat. Okay? Because I got to be honest. I know men and most men, when it comes to the home front, when it comes to a relationship with their spouse or their girlfriend or with somebody of the opposite sex, we're conflict avoiders. Because we don't like to go there. Right? And that's, that's what we do. And here's something I want to tell you guys. This is a secret about women. Women want to know if you'll fight for the relationship. Women want to know if you'll fight for the relationship. And fighting for the relationship means you fight in the relationship. It's not they're walking around wanting to fight. But they want to talk. And guess what, guys? We don't want to go there. We don't want to talk. You know, we don't, we don't want to deal with this stuff. And then for the women, I got, I got to talk to you guys today, is, you know, for, for women, just so you guys know, 
We're not wired to have this soul-wrenching, deep conversation on a daily basis. Right, guys? Are you with me? Yeah. It, it, it's not the way we're wired as, as guys. We, can't, we need to do this occasionally, but we're not wired to do it every day. And women, on the other hand, they are hardwired to do this all the time. Most women, right? Most women want to have deep, soul-wrenching conversations on a pretty regular basis, right? So that's the difference. There's a huge difference between the both of us. And i got to share about this guy, Mark Gungor. Some of you, Gungor, you may have heard of him. He's got a YouTube video, and he talks about the difference between men and women and that their brains, their brains are very different. He shares in this one, you know, lesson that he does that men, men, they, they have what they call this nothing box. Okay, it's a nothing box in their brain. And when women come up and ask men, and it's, it's true of all men, when women come up and ask men and they ask them and say, what, what are you thinking? And the guy says, nothing. <laughs> Guess what? It's true. And women don't want to believe it. No, that's impossible. There's no way you're thinking about nothing. I know you're thinking about something. No, really. That's what this guy talks about. He says it, that men have a nothing box. And guys, we love to be in our nothing box. Am I right? We, we are in our nothing box and we're watching TV, right? We're watching TV. And women, you know this. When we're watching TV, we're going like this, going through the channels, right? And women get so upset about that. We're saying, hey, can we just stop and watch something? And guys, when they're in the nothing box and they're watching TV and they're flipping the channels, they're not interested in what's on TV. They're interested in what else is on TV. And so they're just going through, and that's what men are. They're in their nothing box. Okay, but here's, here's the deal. And i got to talk to the guys about this. You know, men don't like to go there. Women like to go there all the time. There's got to be balance. And so I want to have a talk with the men today and what has to do with conflict and engaging in deep conversation and resolving conflict. Because we don't do it very well, guys, on the home front and in our relationships with women. And some of you, you know, well, I'm just a boyfriend, girlfriend. We talk and we have this, just wait a little while. And you see the change that happens to you as a man as you shut down. And so I want to talk about the men. You know, I, I, I like golf a lot. And so, you know, I do golf. It's my hobby. It's what I like to do. It's what I enjoy. But maybe you don't like golf, but you've got a hobby, right? I want you to do an evaluation in the last six months, guys. Whatever your hobby is. If you've done in the last six months this much, like the graph you see, this much hobby... And this much deep conversation, I can tell you what your relationship is like. I have an uncanny ability to tell you what your relationship was like with your significant other. It's cold. It's flatlining. Because it's not working. What I'm asking the guys to do today is to do this. I'm not saying every day. But you've got to do an evaluation of your hobbies and the things that you like to do and try to engage because relationships are significant. 
And if you want a good climate in your relationship, you've got to spend a little more time investing in deep conversation with your wife or your girlfriend or with your significant other. It's important. It's huge. Okay? And for the women, you know, it can't be every day. If you see your guy in the nothing box, it's probably not a good time to go there in the deep conversation department. Okay? And why is this significant? Okay. For the guys, we're facing an epidemic right now in our society. And it's huge. And i got to get serious now. We face an epidemic with men who have checked out of their relationships. They have numbed out. They're not engaging at a family level with their children. They're not engaging with their wives. And many times they've just chosen to flatline with some of their buddies and their friends because they don't have any depth in those relationships. And it's costing us big time in our society right now. And i got to share this. As a minister, I hear it a lot. Guys, I'm tired. I'm tired of hearing about men who have checked out of their relationships. The absence that you've caused at home. And today is an opportunity for you to check back in. And for you to engage. That may make you feel uncomfortable, but listen, this is so important for you. This is so important. And you know how when we were growing up, we were kids... We were kids, and, and we, we loved to put on the cape. All of us did it. All men, you used to do that. When you were a little kid, you'd put the cape around your shoulders, and you would fly around the house, and you would say, I'm a superhero, and I'm, 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 I'm the man. I'm a hero. And we all want to be heroes. Let me redefine hero for you guys. Hero doesn't mean you go around with a cape. Hero means you engage at home, and you engage with people. Real men don't check out emotionally of their relationships. Real men engage with their family, with their wives, with their children. And they love their wives as Christ loved the church. And they raise and they bring up their children in the way of the Lord. That's what it means to be a real man. And if you're a guest here today, you may feel uncomfortable with that, but you've got to understand there's a lot at stake. You may think that your time of being a hero is over. That's a, that's a kid's stuff, let me tell you. We need heroes desperately right now. Men who are willing to engage at the home front. Men who are willing to care about their families and get roll up their sleeves, sleeves and get involved. And so it's, it's all about husbands, fathers, and friends, guys. Be there. Engage. Don't avoid conflict. Because it has a huge thing. And so, in wrapping it up with conflict avoiders, here needs to be your motto. You need to think this as a conflict avoider. I would rather be bad at conflict than disloyal. I would rather be bad at conflict, which means this. You know, I'm not good at conflict. I, I don't. The words don't come out right, and I just don't do it well. Hey, rather than, you know, be disloyal, be bad at conflict. It's okay to be bad at conflict. But it's worse to be disloyal. Loyalty has a cousin. You know what that, loyal, that word is? The cousin of loyal? Courage. They're cousins. And if you're not loyal, if you're disloyal, there's also another cousin. Coward. 
And men, we do not want to be cowards. We hate that word. If somebody calls us a coward, we hate it. I'm telling you, loyalty has to do, I care about this relationship more than I care about me and my uncomfortability and conflict. It's huge. And you can be a superhero if you will be loyal in your relationships. You can put the cape back on and save the day for your family if you will engage, if you'll take the time out to have conversations, to engage with your children and not be running around and checked out. And so, and also, i got to talk to the conflict enjoyers. And this is huge. Conflict enjoyers. Okay, there's the second word in this, this phrase, remember? Never let loyalty end. Here, now, this is the word for the conflict enjoyers. What's the word? Kindness. You say, well, man, that's kind of a wimpy word for a conflict enjoyer. Exactly right. It's what you need. And, and that, that word is so important because if you're going to be a conflict enjoyer, you've got to think out of the box that I've got to think of kindness. If I'm asking the conflict avoiders to be loyal to the relationship and step up and engage, you conflict enjoyers, guess what you need to do right out of the box? Is be, be filled with kindness. And this is huge because if you look at this in terms of what, you know, right now these people that, uh, in, that study business environments, how to su successful corporations have great environments and succeed, they spend millions of dollars doing research on cr finding out what creates successful business environments. This is a big word that they use. Some of the experts, the theologians or the uh, theorists of management. And it's a lot of money that people spend. There's this word called fundamental attribution error. That's a big word to say this. If management basically runs a decision down to the employees and the, the employees look at the management and they say, you guys in the management, you do this all the time. You always stuff these decisions down our throat. You never ask us what we think. And, and basically, they assume something of management. They basically draw an assumption and they assume something about their motives in management. Or management can do it. When they see the reaction of employees, basically they assume something about the employees. They never get it. They always respond badly. And so that creates a very bad working environment. And so what these business experts that have spent millions of dollars, guess what they say? Stephen Covey is, Covey is one of them. He says this. This is one of his phrases. Seek first to understand before being understood. This is a business quote. Guess what? Solomon, in the Bible, thousands of years ago, spoke of the word kindness. And many people have put the Bible down. They, they discredit the Bible. I'm telling you, why are we talking about business stuff? Because they're coming to the same conclusions that are already written in this book thousands of years ago. And so if you and I will dig in and do what this says, we can save a whole lot of money and we can have great environments at home. We don't have to pay somebody as a consultant to come in and help us figure out our family. And so for those people who are conflict enjoyers, what do you need to do? Show kindness. 
and do what Stephen Covey talks about. Seek first to understand before being understood. That means you want to hear first what the other person is feeling before you go and speak on your platform of what you think is the problem. This is huge. And if both people will practice this, it's a game changer. It's, it's so, so significant. So basically, Psalm, Solomon is saying this. If you will listen first, in other words, if you'll be kind, it will create an awesome foundation for conflict resolution. If you'll just think about kindness. That day in Mexico, if I would have practiced this, it would have resolved the conflict quicker. I mean, it would have gone to zero. And it would have been a wonderful opportunity. But sometimes you can learn from those bad situations and go, I practice it really bad. And so today I want to encourage all of us, for those of us who are conflict avoiders, what do we need to do? We need to be loyal. We need to practice loyalty. In other words, I value this relationship more than my own comfortability. And I'm going to be loyal to this relationship. I'm going to be loyal. I'm going to fight for in this relationship. That's for the conflict avoiders. The conflict enjoyers, what do they need to do? Practice what? Kindness. Kindness. And that means listen. Connect before you jump to conclusions. This is so big for, for all of us. Don't assume motive on the other person, but rather understand them. Another verse that we share with young couples who are getting married is this one. Ephesians 4, verse 26. It says this, In your anger, don't or do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. And this verse basically talks about you're going to get angry. The Bible says it's not bad to get angry. But when you get angry, what you do with that anger is huge. If you blow up, that's sin. If you say something hurtful to the other person in your anger, that's sin. So it's okay to be in conflict and it's okay to get angry. But it's not okay to raise your voice. It's not okay to say hurtful words. It's not okay to lash out at people and create a toxic environment. That's not okay. And we're going to look at another verse that, that gets even more specific. Another thing that we talk about with couples that are getting married is don't let the sun go down without resolving your conflict. What does that mean? Resolve your conflicts today. If you don't, bitterness sets in. Bitterness sets in, and it will kill your relationship. Not only will that it kill the relationship, it will kill your heart. Because bitterness is like a poison. It'll ruin you. The last verse that we're going to look at today is this one. Ephesians 4.29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. What's this verse saying? Be careful what you say when you're in conflict. Sometimes you need a time out. Sometimes you need a half an hour to pull it together because you're upset and you say, you know what, it's probably best that we don't talk about this right now. Can I get a few minutes? Can we wait a couple hours? Because if I talk now, if we have this argument right now, if we have this conflict right now, I might say something. And that's okay. There's been many times I've asked Laura for a time out. 
I got to go out. I got to I got to go for a walk. I got to cool off. I got to think. I got to so that then when I'm settled down, when I've allowed God to come in and and, and help me understand my problem, guess the first words that come out of my mouth are usually, "I'm sorry." I'm sorry. Let me hear. Let's talk this through. If not, then comes words like this. These are the hurt words. Obviously, there's 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 strong four-letter words that can go around. There's there's words that you should never say in a relationship. It's this word, always, always. You always respond this way. You always do this. You always. What are you saying to the person? You're basically, you're, you're putting them in a box that they're never going to change. Or another word is, you never. You never listen. I mean, does anybody ever do that? And I know as a parent, I can, I can, I can do that, not listen enough. As a husband, I know I can do that, not listen enough. But is it always? Or is it never? Again, you're putting people in a category. If you say to the person that you're having conflict that you never or you always, don't, don't do that. Because you've always got to put hope out there in the relationship. That means fighting for the relationship. And saying things that will not tear the other person down. If you're married, I have this, this in my rule book. Never, never talk about divorce. Never. I, I won't say it. I won't mention it. It doesn't exist. That word doesn't exist. Because it's a very hurtful word. And some of us, because we're in this world and we're in this culture, it's, it's embraced by this culture, we throw it around. It's incredibly damaging. Do not throw that out there. It's incredibly hurtful. It's unwholesome. It tears down. It creates insecurity. So don't do it. Don't say that word. It doesn't exist for me, and it shouldn't exist. And this is what we tell young couples when they're engaged and they're getting married. But say words that build up. I know you're doing this, and I believe you can change. Wow. That phrase is huge in a conflict. So use it. So let's wrap this up. In this whole thing that we're talking about conflict, I'm going to ask you to go and pray today and ask for God to reveal who's that person that you need to resolve your conflict with. And I know this about some of you, you don't need to pray. Because the truth of the matter is, you already know who it is. You already know who you've got to resolve conflict with. And I want to encourage you to do that. Because that shows loyalty. That shows value to the relationship, that you value the person more than you value the convenience of now. And this is significant. And then to close out, I wanted to, to share with you a quote. This week I was, I was uh, you know, uh, reading a book about, uh, you know, how to, how to create uh, more trust in your organization. And in the book they share this story about... Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. They were very good friends as the inception of our country when under George Washington. They were good friends and they were co-patriots. They also both penned the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. 
And so, but something happened when John Adams was elected to president by default. Thomas Jefferson was automatically, because of the Constitution, automatically put in as the vice president. They had very polar different ideas about how to run government. In fact, they disagreed strongly. And when they had their relationship in the president and the vice president, Thomas Jefferson hated being vice president under John Adams. And John Adams expected Thomas Jefferson to be what he was to George Washington when he was vice president. And it created a huge rift in their relationship. But later in their life, when Abigail, John Adams' wife, died, I'm not sure if it was John Adams or Thomas Jefferson who initiated contact. And they were late in years. And there was immediate reconciliation. And they became great friends for the last 14 years of their lives. They were best friends again. And there was a quote from John Adams about his relationship with Jefferson. He says, every line, and he speaks about his letter, he says, every line from, your, from you exhilarates my spirit and gives, glow, the glow, gives me a glow of pleasure. Your kind congratulations are solid comfort for my heart. The little strength of mind and the considerable strength of body that I once possessed appear to have been gone. They were very old men. But while I breathe, I shall be your friend. As long as I'm alive, I will be your husband. I will be your wife. I will be your friend. These are powerful words. And guess what? On the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, it was July 4th, both men, by coincidence, passed the same day. But they passed having a great relationship. And so I want to encourage you, don't let time or your life or someone else's life pass without resolving conflict. And when you get in that situation, you need to think about the two words, loyalty and kindness. That you go into it thinking about, I'm going to be kind and I'm going to be loyal. We don't have to resolve the argument. We don't have to settle the issue. It's not about who's right or wrong because you could agree to disagree. That's what John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, they agreed to disagree because they had you know, totally different ideas about how this country should be run. But they agreed to be friends and be loyal to the relationship. And then in closing, I wanted to talk to you about my parents. And I keep saying in closing, but for real this time. You know, yesterday when I was preparing this lesson, I thought about my parents. They're 62 years in marriage. And I don't know how long I'm going to have them because my dad's health is, is weak. But I said, you know, if they've been married for 62 years, that's like three times what we've been married, close to three times what Laura and I have been married. And if you've been married that long, you're an expert at conflict resolution. Right? You gotta be. You're an expert. So I asked the expert, I asked my dad, I said, Dad, I'm gonna talk about conflict resolution today. And and if you could if you could share pearls of wisdom with our, our church and with our friends at church, what would you say? Being the expert. 
And so he thought about it, and he sent me some information, but there's a couple of things that he said that were very powerful. He said, there's, there's a misnomer in relationships, particularly when it comes to the department in the area of marriage, that people have this utopia idea that everything is going to be wonderful. They, they need a dose of reality. Relationships are not like that. There's conflict. And every time you have conflict, it's like an investment. It's like taking an amount of money and you invest it. It's an investment in the relationship. And the payoff, the payoff afterwards is unbelievable. And one of the other things that he said was this. It's worth the fight. Because a lot of people don't realize they get in a situation and they say, well, I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to grow anymore. I don't want to change anymore. And my dad said, it's worth the fight. It's worth the fight. And so I want to tell you today, on behalf of my dad, it's worth the fight. Some of you young people here, you know, you checked out when we talked about marriage. Let me talk about you with your parents. I had a stormy relationship with my dad as a teenager. And I carried that around for a long time. But now, I'm so grateful for what my dad did for me and my parents. And I treasure the relationship. I wish that someone would have sat down with me and said, hey, treasure the relationship with your parents while you still have them. Because it's a blessing. And then there's a funny story. Ruth Graham, wife of Billy Graham. She was asked by a reporter one time, Ruth, have you ever thought about divorcing your husband, Billy Graham? And she thought for a minute and she said, divorce, no. Murder, yes. But divorce, no. It's worth the fight. And now we're going to take the communion. Do you know what God was willing to do for you to establish His loyalty to you and your relationship with Him? Do you know what He was willing to do to preserve your relationships? And so quickly we'll check out and say, I quit. I quit the relationship. I quit the family. I quit the marriage. I quit the friendship. I quit. Let me tell you what the communion is all about. The communion is all about Jesus telling you, I never quit. I will never quit. In fact, I'm willing to die to let you know how serious I am about our relationship, but also your relationships. So if there's one thing you do today, is decide, don't quit on your relationships. Because you can't many times get them back once it's over. Let's pray for the communion.